Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to this Good Friday service here at Stanley Park Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us for this special time of worship and reflection. A great big welcome as well to those joining us online. Uh, glad that you've taken time this day to join us. Today we, we will be prayerfully reflecting on the last moments of Jesus' life and what it all means. We'll meditate on this absolute turning point in, in history through song, through the reading of scripture, the preaching of God's word, and gathering around the Lord's table. So I pray that um, we as God's people today will be refreshed as we contemplate the revelation and manifestation of God's love through Jesus Christ. And above all, may the name of Jesus be lifted high and magnified and glorified in this place today. So now if you're able, I invite you to stand as we begin our time of reflection this morning, turning our eyes towards the cross. Oh, oh, oh. 
26 verses 6 to 16. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will, be, will also be told in memory of her. Uh, Jesus, uh, Judas agrees to portray Jesus. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. 
For I hear the slander of many, there is terror on every side, they conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. I invite you to stand once again as we sing Man of Sorrows. sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus' name. Oh, cries out, Hallelujah. 
Mark 14, 32 to 41. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Mark 14. 55 to 59. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man made temple, and in three days we'll build another, not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Mark 15, 1-5 Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Father, as in heaven, so on earth, my heart is drawn to self-exalting. Help 
me seek your kingdom first as jesus walked so shall i walk held by your same unchanging love be still my soul oh lift your voice and pray father not my will but yours be done how in that garden he persisted i may never fully know the fearful weight of true obedience it was held by him alone what wondrous faith to bear that cross to bear my sin what wondrous love my hope was sure when there my Savior prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. What wondrous faith to bear that cross, to bear my sin, what wondrous love. My hope was sure, when there my Savior prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Isaiah 53, 1-5. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 27, verses 31 to 43. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, 
and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. That's found, uh, the passage we're going to read is found on page 1685, I believe, in most of the Pew Bibles. I can't speak for all of them, but uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 19. As you're turning there, just to follow up on the passage that we just read. In Matthew 27, Matthew records this, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now to the passage you've turned to, in John 19, beginning at verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now complete 
And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Roman crucifixion was brutal. It was the most violent, horrific, and and shameful form of capital punishment that was set apart for the worst criminals. Crucifixion wasn't designed simply to kill, but to torture to the greatest extent possible before killing the victim. Today, as we reflect on the excruciating pain and suffering that Jesus endured, as he was brutally beaten, mocked, spat upon, ridiculed, as he bled, thirsted, and ultimately died on the cross. It's easy to think that something went wrong. That God's plan had had somehow failed. But nothing could be further from the truth. It's important for us to remember that Jesus was not a helpless victim. None of this took him off guard. Jesus knew that the cross was God's plan from the beginning. As Gwen just read for us from Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus came into the world, before Roman crucifixion even existed, God gave the prophet Isaiah this incredible revelation of Jesus' saving saving work of his sacrificial death for our sins on the cross. At verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities And carried our sorrows, yet we, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And Isaiah goes on to say this in verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Verse 12 He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. According to God's word, this was part of God's will. His divine plan, which Jesus died to complete willingly. Willingly. Jesus made this clear. He said this in John 10, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. There was nothing 
that could deter or distract Jesus from obeying his father's command. Jesus lived to do God's will. That was his singular focus and the driving force, not only of his life, but of his death. Doing God's will, you know what Jesus called that? He called that his food. It is my food to do the will of God, John 4, 34. And to do what? To finish, finish his work. John 4, 34 is fulfilled in that passage we just looked at in John 19, 30. Where Jesus said, oh, that's bad, you can't see that, red. I put it in red. Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Those aren't the only red letter words in this passage. John records three other words just before it is finished that we can easily gloss over if we're not careful. Look again at verse 28, and this is in red as well. (laughs) Later, knowing that all was now complete and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I'm thirsty. This is not one of Jesus' famous I am statements, though I, I think it should be. Because it is so penetrating, it is so deep, it is so significant. These three words reveal to us the frailty and fullness of Jesus' humanity, the capacity of Jesus' divinity, and the totality of Jesus' agony. Three words, I am thirsty. We will never know what it's like to be scourged or nailed to a cross, Lord willing. But every person who has ever lived knows what it's like to be thirsty, don't we? And how easy it is just to quench our thirst. But every, every one of us knows what it's like to cry for thirst. It's one of the first things we do the day we're born. As babies, we, we cry. Why? Because we're thirsty. We need to be fed. Physical thirst is one of the most unpleasant, uncomfortable, and if left unquenched, deadly of human conditions. And according to John's gospel, raging thirst was the culmination of Jesus' physical suffering on the cross. Before the darkness had fallen over the land, as we read, Jesus had been hanging on the cross for six hours. Three, under the heat of the midday sun, and three, under the darkness of God's wrath that covered the land. It was now approaching 3 p.m., that is the ninth hour, and the combination of Jesus' exhaustion, his exposure, and extreme blood loss from the scourging culminated in this intense physical thirst, which causes Jesus to cry out in agony, I am thirsty. The Greek word translated thirsty means to suffer thirst. Jesus was so thirsty, it hurt him. Reformed German theologian Frederick Krumacher described it this way. I just am going to quote him here. He said, by the ninth hour, the blood vessels of Jesus' sacred body are almost dried up. 
a dreadful fever rages through his frame. His tongue cleaves to his jaws. His lips burn. For there is scarcely a greater torment in the human experience than that of insatiable thirst, which Jesus experienced on the cross. And yet, there were some in the early church known as docetists who denied that Jesus was fully human. They argued that Jesus only seemed to be human. He just looked that way. Well, my friends, Jesus' intense physical thirst here reveals the fullness and the frailness of his humanity. And you know what? It reminds us that in him, we have one who really understands and can sympathize with every single need that we have, every weakness and pain we experience. Indeed, Jesus, in him we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are and yet was without sin. So Jesus' words, I am thirsty, reveal his humanity. But they also reveal his divinity. It wasn't just a physical thirst. It was a scriptural thirst. Notice the reason why Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Knowing that all was now complete, and so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Though fully human, Jesus is fully God, which is how he knew that all was now complete. It's how he knew every single thing written in the word of God. It was his word. The son of God knew God's word, and he knew that he was the only one that could fulfill God's word. And he was completely focused on doing just that. At the beginning of his crucifixion, Matthew and Mark record that Jesus was offered a drink of wine mixed with myrrh, which was a sedative to help numb the pain. And at that point, he refused to drink it. But now, here in John 19, Jesus does two things to fulfill Scripture. He, first of all, he declares, I am thirsty. And number two, he receives a drink of wine vinegar, also translated sour wine, which, by the way, was a cheap drink the soldiers typically used to quench their thirst, which is why there was a jar of it on hand. According to Matthew and Mark, Jesus had just cried out those penetrating opening words of Psalm 22, that prophetic picture of the suffering servant. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fulfilling scripture. But then, the words, I am thirsty, that Jesus uttered, echo Psalm 22, verse 15, where we read, my strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And then Jesus, taking the drink of wine vinegar, is a fulfillment of Psalm 69, 21, where we read, they put gall in my food. And gave me vinegar or sour wine for my thirst. This is amazing. Because even in the middle of the most intense physical pain and torment humanly imaginable, Jesus is completely devoted to scripture. He remains focused on fulfilling his father's will 
in perfect accordance with every detail of God's perfect word that reveals it. In fact, even the sponge lifted to wet Jesus' mouth with the wine was a fulfillment of Scripture. All four Gospels record that the soldiers crucifying, crucifying Jesus offered him the drink of wine, but only John specifies that it was offered on what? A stalk of the hyssop plant. Anyone well-versed in the Hebrew Bible sees this and it jumps right off the page at them. Because in the Old Testament, the hyssop plant was used in various ceremonial cleansing rituals and it played a critical role in the Israelites' deliverance from slavery in Egypt at the original Passover. Here's what we read in Exodus 22. That's, by the way, what the hyssop plant looks like. Moses instructed the Israelites to select and kill the Passover lamb and then to take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood of the lamb in a basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame in order to save the firstborn Israelite sons from the angel of death that was about to pass over the land. My friends, why do I quote this? Why do we look at this? Because every single detail, all of it points to the cross of Jesus Christ, where a stalk of hyssop, that Old Testament emblem of cleansing and deliverance, dipped in sour wine, is then lifted to the blood-stained face of the true Lamb of God, Jesus, slain for the sin of the world. Why? So that God's righteous wrath, the judgment of death and hell, would pass over us and be poured out on him. Every detail, Jesus was in control of it. Every detail was a fulfillment of Scripture. So I'd suggest to you that Jesus' thirst was physical, yes, revealing the frailty of his humanity, but it was also scriptural, revealing the capacity of his divinity, the fact that he remained focused on accomplishing God's will perfectly. But there's another dimension to mention. Dimension to mention. When Jesus said, I'm thirsty, it was a spiritual thirst, revealing the totality or extremity of Jesus' agony. It was a spiritual thirst. Jesus, by the way, had been thirsty many times before in his life. It's like all of us have. And he used this word thirsty many times before. In his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, 13, this is what he said. He said to her, everyone who drinks this water, referring to the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Same word. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus was using the woman's physical thirst as an object lesson pointing to the greater reality of her spiritual thirst, her deadly state of spiritual dehydration. We all are born into that state of spiritual dehydration that leads to death, and that dehydration is caused by sin. Because in her sinful state, she was spiritually empty. She was cut off from God. It wasn't just her mouth that was parched. It was her soul. 
That's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. We read this in Romans 6.23, that the wages, the payment, the debt of sin is death. Not just the physical death that we will all die, but eternal separation from God in hell. Suffering. That's what our sin deserves. But the gift of God, writes the Apostle Paul, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus uses this same word thirsty again in John chapter 6 as he declares this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Believing in Jesus, that is how our thirst is quenched. We receive the gift of eternal life. Coming to Christ is believing in him, which results in being filled, having our spiritual hunger and thirst satisfied with the bread and living water of Jesus Christ. And one more reference. In the next chapter, John 7, Jesus said this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. My friends, the point is this. Every time in John's gospel that Jesus uses this word thirsty, it refers to spiritual thirst, to our sinful state of spiritual dehydration leading to death. Again, that's the state of every human heart because all of us have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Every person has a hole in their heart. An empty dry well of thirst caused by sin leading to death. And that hole can only be filled by the eternal life-giving Holy Spirit of God. That Jesus promised to give to everyone who would repent of their sins. That means turn away and believe in him for forgiveness. Accept the sacrifice that he was about to make as atonement for our sin. My friends, it's that desperate, deadly spiritual thirst that Jesus himself experienced on the cross for the very first and only time. Think about that. He'd been thirsty before, but never like this. From all eternity, Jesus existed in the most intimate, perfect union and fellowship with God, his Father, In John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. But on the cross, all of that changed. As Jesus took our place, bore our sins in his body, he who had no sin became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Causing the Father to turn his face away from his beloved Son. Jesus, who experiences the most devastating rejection and abandonment ever known, ever. Expressed not only in his anguished cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But also in these three words, I am thirsty. As Jesus, God's sinless son, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might be restored to a right relationship with God and have our spiritual thirst quenched forever. 
as Jesus' blood was shed to pay the penalty for our sin. His agonizing thirst was physical, yes. It was scriptural. And it was spiritual. Which, by the way, the drink of wine vinegar, that sour wine, could do nothing to quench. But once Jesus had received that last bit of moisture from the sour wine, he said these words, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He had that last bit of moisture he needed to make that declaration. Now we know from Mark's account that he declared it with a strong, clear voice, reminding us that Jesus did not die because he couldn't breathe. He did not die because he was out of strength. He didn't die because he had lost control. He died because he willingly gave up his life in perfect obedience to God's will, in perfect accordance with God's word. My friends, here's the good and glorious truth of this passage. The desperate, dying thirst of every human soul can be fully quenched through faith in Jesus Christ alone, who became the curse and took our thirst. Jesus, the living water himself, had to run dry and die. Be poured out unto death in order to bring us the living water of eternal life and salvation in his name. If you have never surrendered your life in faith to Jesus Christ, believe in him today. Turn away from your sin and trust in God's righteous son who suffered and died on the cross to pay for your sin. And you know what? The Bible says you will be forgiven. You will be set free. That deep hole will be filled with living water. Your, your spiritual thirst will be quenched, and you will be given eternal life in Jesus' name. We're going to come to the Lord's table in just a few moments. And as we do that, as, as we think about Jesus' willing, suffering sacrifices, God poured out his just wrath for our sin on his son, Jesus who took the curse of spiritual thirst for us. As we look again at the cross where Jesus died, where we see the frailty of his humanity, the capacity of his divinity, and the totality of his agony, may we be caused to tremble. Tremble with holy fear. Tremble with grateful hearts. And tremble in loving worship and surrender to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, we think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing, poured out to death. So many times we've wondered at your gift of life, and we're in that place once again, as the song says. So once again, may we look upon the cross where you died, and as we do, may we be humbled by your mercy, broken inside. Once again, we thank you. 
once again we pour out our lives. Thank you for the cross, my friend, my Savior, my Lord, my King, my God, forever. Amen. Sacred head now wounded with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns thine only crown. How pale thou. Where mercy reigns and 
we, uh, we have the privilege and responsibility, the call. This is an act of obedience to come together as God's people to the Lord's table to remember in the way he commanded us his sacrifice for us, the price that he paid. As we approach here, we're reminded that the Lord's table draws a line, a necessary line between believers and unbelievers. Because the fact is we are either God's friends or his enemies. We are either on his side as his followers, followers of Jesus Christ or not. Which is why this invitation today to this table can only be extended to those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins, turned away from their sins in faith to God's Son for forgiveness and are following Him. So, I would ask if, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ here today, that, that you not participate in this meal, but simply observe what takes place. If you have any questions, please feel free to speak to me or any of the leaders you've seen up here today, and we'd be happy to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to, to come and to celebrate his death in this important way. For over 2,000 years, the church has been invited to this table, the same table of our Lord, and again on this Good Friday, we come together here to remember Jesus by participating by doing what Jesus commanded us to, to participate in his body that was given, represented by the bread or, or the wafer that we will partake in a few minutes, and to partake of his blood shed, the cup, representing the blood of Jesus, as we have uh, grape juice that we'll be drinking in just a few moments. Uh, I also want to make clear that there is a warning that the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 11, that every person ought to examine themselves so as not to eat or drink of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And so I just want to take a few moments before we proceed today just to take a time of, of silent confession as we come before the Lord and confess our sins to Him. Let's just bow together now in a time of prayer. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Our Father, God, we acknowledge and confess in your presence our sinful nature that we are prone to evil, slow to do good. Lord, we confess all of our shortcomings and offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in squandering your gifts, in forgetting your love. Lord, we've sinned against you in the things we've thought, the things we've said, the things we've done, and the things we've failed to do. Have mercy on us, O oh Lord. We are ashamed and sorry for all the ways in which we've failed you and fallen short of your glory. 
Lord, teach us to hate our errors. Cleanse us from our secret faults. Forgive, forgive us of our sins. For the sake of your dear Son and our Savior, Jesus. Holy Heavenly Father, send your purifying grace into our hearts, we pray. That we might live in your light and walk in your ways by the power of your Holy Spirit. According to the command and perfect example of our Savior, Jesus. In whose name I pray. Amen. If you do not have or did not pick up uh, the elements when you came in, uh, you can just raise your hand. Our, our ushers will be ready to uh, come and, and get this to you if you didn't receive it. But at this time, I would also invite those tuning in from home to prepare the elements at home, and then we will proceed with the words of institution today. To its blessing and to its fellowship, all followers of Jesus Christ who have repented of their sins and are following him in newness of life may come to the table of the Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And when he had broke it, he gave thanks and he said, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we partake of the bread representing the body of Jesus given for us. Let's just offer a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. Lord, thy body given for my sake, my bread from heaven shall be, O Lamb of God, my sacrifice, help us to remember thee. Remember thee in all thy pains and all thy love to me. Help us do this, our dying Lord. Help us remember thee. In meek humility with grateful hearts to honor and to remember you, to bring honor and glory to you as we partake of this bread. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Together, let us eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And let us be thankful. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying this, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us now, in the quietness of this moment, just offer up a prayer of thanks to God for the blood of Jesus shed for us. Let us pray. Hmm. Oh Lord, what can wash away our sin? Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how precious is that flow that makes us white as snow. No other fount we know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for your son Jesus and his blood shed for us. Amen. Jesus said, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us do this in remembrance that Jesus' blood was shed for us to cleanse over, to cover over all of our sins. And let us be thankful as we drink it. As um, we close today, I want to read the words from Luke 23, verses 44 to 46. Luke 23, verses 44 to 46. Here's what the word says. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. I invite the congregation to stand now as we sing this closing song and we reflect on Jesus and the cross and him dying for us.
Thank you for joining us in this service of worship today. Uh, we just invite you, just as we make our way out, just to, in honor of, of the Lord's death today, to depart in silence, but plan to return here on Easter Sunday with rejoicing. By His stripes we are healed. By His wounds we are made whole. Go in the name of Jesus Christ and live in the salvation made possible by the goodness of this Good Friday. Amen.